0: Good morning, everyone. Typical greeting for the past 2,000 years in the church has been, he is risen. And your response is always, he is risen indeed. And they say that all over the world. And um, it's such good news. Jesus is risen. And we celebrate that today. Um, If you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, I'd like to read a... Couple of verses, Acts chapter one, verses nine down to eleven. There's a time in um, in my lifetime when uh, our country was gripped with fear, much worse than what it is today, much worse by far. And at least that that was my experience with it. Uh, it's people who are my age would. Growing up in the in the '50s and '60s, will remember what it was like when there was a threat of a nuclear holocaust, that uh, that Russia would somehow uh, lob nu- nuclear missiles toward us, and we would respond, and and people would imagine what, how that would play out. And as a result, there were um, people digging in their backyards and creating uh, um, shelter in their backyards. People were selling them in magazines that you could buy a bomb shelter for your backyard. There were cities that had bomb shelters uh, in place all over. Plus there were drills uh, where uh, sirens would go off and you would practice. What would would you do if there was a um, a missile attack? And so um, kids would have to get under their desk. And it kept us in a state of fear. It just went on and on and on. And, and when we'd kind of get used to a new level of fear, uh, the news media would um, put out a question, what would happen if someone accidentally pushed the button? And we would respond, or they would respond with a, a rain of, of, of um, nuclear missiles, and it was an accident. Someone just happened to be having lunch and inadvertently touched the wrong button. And uh, so they'd create a whole new level of fear. Uh, and then there was the Cuban Missile Crisis, which happened in 1962. So I had just started school, going to kindergarten, came home. It was half days, came home. And um, I was playing underneath this deck and above me, about 10 feet above me, my brother, my oldest brother, my mother were talking about uh, something that President Kennedy had just said that, in my brother's words, that he said if, if Cuba didn't move those missiles, uh, that He'd blow them off the face of the earth. And I remember his excitement. I remember the, the fear in his voice and my mother talking with him. And they were really going back and forth. I was just a little five-year-old kid playing in the sand underneath uh, where they were seated. And I could hear it all play out. And it created panic in me. And then I just happened to go around to the front of our house, which was a, a row house, a terrace... And nearby was an armory, or or, uh, uh, where our militia was, or uh, uh, today we'd say it's the National Guard. And just at the time that I came around the front of the house, the militia were emptying out in large trucks with helmets on, and they were going off to some weekend um, uh, practice, But to me, it looked like the world was ending. It looked like it was all happening now, that we were in war right now. Of course, the proof was all these trucks rolling down the street filled with soldiers. I don't know who calmed me down, and I don't know um, how I got out of that. I don't have any memory of that. But from that time on, we just lived in this constant dread of a nuclear holocaust, that the world would go up in flames uh, because of the nuclear war that was pending with the USSR, some anxious reporter, wide-eyed reporter, put a microphone in young Billy Graham's face and said, Mr. Graham, do you believe, Reverend Graham, do you believe that there's going to be a nuclear holocaust and the world's going to go up in a ball of flames? And he just said, no. And it shocked the reporter. The reporter kind of took a step back, like, how could you be the only one on the planet who doesn't believe that? And he says, how, how, how can you say that? How can you say that so calmly? And Billy Graham was calm, clear-eyed. And he took them to this verse in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And this was broadcast. He says, says that now um, as they stood and they watched Jesus uh, received up out of sight in a cloud, and while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven, and he went up, Behold, two men stood by in white apparel, who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He said, Jesus is coming back to earth. There's going to be an earth here when he comes. There's going to be be a, a planet here when Jesus comes back. And all he did was point to the good news of the resurrection, watching Jesus ascend. He said, he's going to come back the exact same way. That's good news. And, and it was, had all the effect of, of pricking a balloon and causing all the air to go out of it. People who saw that, people who had that, that little bit of wisdom, that little bit of good news presented to them, relaxed. All of a sudden, we realize this thing isn't going to go up like we've been told. This isn't going to end this way. Jesus is coming back the same way that he lifted off, the same way that he ascended, he's going to descend someday. That's good news. If you go with me to 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, there's another section that I'd like to read this morning. The Apostle Paul is writing to a a spirit-filled New Testament church who had somehow began to believe that the resurrection had never taken place. I don't know how that's possible, but it was gaining traction. It was being spread. It's a funny thing about a lie. Uh, Mark Twain, he said, um, "A, a lie will go around the earth and back several times before the truth even gets his shoes on. It gets his boots laced up. Uh, Doug Larson, the cartoonist, he said uh, uh, good news, uh, bad news travels fast and good news takes the scenic route. I think there's something to that. And, and this bad news was that the resurrection didn't, didn't take place. And Paul countered it with good news. And listen, listen to what he says here. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which i preached to you which you have which you received and in which you stand by which you'll also be saved if you hold fast that word which i preached to you unless you believed in vain and the word gospel here is good news He's, i preached the good news to you here he says here is the definition of the gospel here's the definition of good news for i discovered or i delivered to you first of all which I had received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and then he was seen of Cephas, he was seen of the twelve, he was seen of five hundred brethren at once, and um, the good news that Paul brought to them was that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. That's that's the good news in a nutshell. And if we would just take that truth, just the good news, just the good news that we preach every Easter, if we took that to heart even now during this crisis that we're in, we realize that God is in control. We realize that things may look bad for a while, like, like Jesus being buried. But there's life on the other side of this, that, that nothing's happening to us that God's not aware of that it fulfilled his purposes. And this, what we're experiencing, could fulfill some purposes that God has in his heart for you, for your family, for me. That's the good news. There's always <clears throat> there's always good news if we'll look for it. Uh, but bad news travels fast. Good news takes the scenic route. I remember going to the Ukraine shortly after the Iron Curtain fell. We were some of the first people to get in and uh, getting there and meeting ordinary citizens from the Ukraine, about my age. And I remember sitting around and, and noticing that they, they were just staring at us and uh, really studying us. And when we talked to them, uh, finally things got relaxed and we're having meals together and being together. And they started saying things that shocked us. They said, you know, we grew up thinking that you were monsters, We were told that you were going to attack us. We were told that you were were the worst people. And then when we look at you and we see your faces and we see your smiles and how you treat us, how good you are, how you help us, it just was such a readjustment of a lie that they had believed all of their life, just like we had believed a lie all of our lives about what they were like. It's just funny how some of those misconceptions stay with us until they're countered with truth. Until they're countered with a different reality, we need to embrace the truth. I was uh, in a country recently on a mission trip, and and uh, deep, deep in, and trying to make my way home, we got a phone call saying that the day that I was to fly to come back home, that the flights were going to be canceled. Well, that sent me into a, about a two-day up-and-down roller coaster of emotions, thinking how I would get out of the country, uh, wondering how that would ever happen, and uh, having to trust the Lord. And, and in that up-and-down up kind of emotional time, battling fear, battling uh, all kinds of thoughts, you get reduced to some real basic things the way to cope, the way to settle your heart down, the way to find pockets of peace, I got, everything got, came down to that God knows. God's in charge. I can't control the outcome of this situation, so I yield control to God. And I just surrendered at a deeper level. And it helped me manage the fear. It helped me manage the, the difficulties that I was experiencing. I won the battle. It took some time. It was a a challenging battle for me. And I asked the Lord as I got on the other side of it, I said, Lord, why was that so hard? Why was I struggling so hard with so much fear? It just seemed like the enemy could just uh, paralyze me with the idea of not getting home and, and running through a scenario of what I would do if I couldn't get home. And all of that. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why was that such a difficult battle for me? And immediately this this thought came to my mind with no condemnation, just as clear as a bell, a thought outside of myself, something that I wouldn't have thought of. And very calmly, I believe now is the Lord, very calmly this thought said to me, you love your life too much. There's no condemnation with that it wasn't there was, it wasn't no re, any reproach, but as I thought about it, I realized <laughs> I love my life I love my wife i love my I love my home I love my bed i I love my church I love my friends i I love my food I love our 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 climate uh, all the things that I was thinking of having to forfeit and I realized that one of the things that the enemy was using against me was something that's very natural is it I love my life. I love my life too much. And I read in the scriptures after that that there are people who who were so, so part and parcel. They bought the good news to such an extent that they loved not their life even to the death. When you're free of the fear of death, it's amazing what you can do. It's amazing what you can accomplish. It's amazing where you can go when you're not afraid of death. And And the good news, the gospel that these people were presenting, they were also being sustained by. That they knew that this life isn't it, that there's a life beyond this life, that no matter what happens to us and our bodies, there's a life beyond this life. It doesn't end with us being buried. It doesn't end with us dying any more than it did with Jesus. And we see in Colossians chapter 3 where um, Paul's comforting a church. And he says in verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul was comforting a church with the, good, with the good news of the resurrection. He was comforting these people by saying, you're part of the resurrection. You, you've, you're you're uh, such an integral part of this because your life is in Christ. And you've died. And wherever he is, you'll be alive with him. You'll be taken care of powerful way of using the good news in a in an everyday practical kind of way the good news can quiet your heart the good news can act like an anchor a hope a hope that acts like an anchor to your soul that keeps you from bobbing up and down it's just so funny when i'm reading the news these days i don't watch it very much but I, i i read headlines and and they'll give you a little bit of hope in one headline, then the next headline cancels it out. Then that very next headline takes it away. Keep putting this thing further and further out, making it worse than what it really is for a lot of people. 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter said, what you have to do is you have to be ready. You have to be ready to answer, to give an answer, To anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. I think that's one of the things that God wants us to do as a church. I I think where we should come out on this thing, no matter when it ends, how it ends, we should come out embracing the gospel in a more fuller, intentional way. Not only for ourselves. Finding a new boldness to extend the good news to those around us, that we be ready to answer with meekness and with fear, not with arrogance, not with haughtiness, not with an attitude, but with real hope that says the reason that the reason I'm not troubled, the reason I'm at peace, the reason I'm going on with my life, is because I've bought the gospel. I've embraced the gospel, and you should too, and we should be able to explain to them simply, powerfully, with power, what the good news, what the gospel really is. The Apostle John was taken by the government, the Roman government at the time, and and uh, rode 50 miles out to sea and put on this deserted island working in a quarry to keep him away from having any influence on the churches anymore. It was his, his isolation, his being quarantined so that the disease of the gospel wouldn't spread to any more people. That's what they thought, until Jesus showed up. One time when John was in prayer, and what Jesus said to him was so powerful. He stood behind John and he spoke to him and he said, "John, I was alive, and I died, and I'm alive forevermore." That's the gospel right there. That's the gospel. What he did to bring peace to John's heart was Jesus reminded him of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of the living Christ. And then he went on to tell John that he had a purpose. He said, write down everything you see and everything you hear. And that gave him hope and hope for people. Uh, as you read the book of Revelation, as you read it from chapter one to the very end, you just see that God's in control, that God's big, that nothing happens to us without God's knowing, that he knows and that he cares. It's one of the most powerful books of the Bible to give you a sense in a very short time, repeatedly, that God's in control. You know, there's a a tendency, I, I remember growing up, uh, as a kid, without any real hope in the gospel I, I I knew that Jesus died. I knew the Easter story. we watched it every every Easter Sunday. We watched the robe, we watched other shows like that. I had heard that God so loved the world that He gave his only son i I, I heard that, but i didn 't know jesus i didn 't have the experience that I had when I was twenty one when i found out that Jesus was alive, that Jesus is just as alive today as he was 2,000 years ago. So I believed in aliens, I believed in all kinds of crazy things to put some kind of, have some kind of hope that someone wiser than us, someone bigger than us, more powerful than us can come back and save the world and help us out and help us make it through. But the moment that I found out that Jesus was coming back and Jesus was more powerful I've never believed in aliens since then. But it's, it's the only thing I had. I had to put my hope in something. People put their hopes in all kinds of things that'll fail them. God wants us to put our hope in him. At that same time, because I didn't know any better, I, I, blamed, I blamed people for the death of Jesus. I, I'd watch the story, and I would be compelled to feel sorry for him. Then I'd blame Pilate. I never liked Pilate. And then I'd blame the Gentiles, uh, the Romans. Then I'd blame the Jews. And growing up, I remember people hating Jewish people because of what happened to Jesus. Even when The Passion, the movie called The Passion of the Christ came out, the Jewish people were braced for an onslaught, a fresh attack from Gentiles who would blame them for crucifying Jesus. Even Even in the earliest days of the church, People are saying that we're not looking to blame Pilate. We're not looking to blame the Jews or the Gentiles or any of these people. This was done, this crucifixion, burial, was done by the foreknowledge of God, by the power of God, that it was planned, that it had a purpose. This was something God did. Even today, we can blame the government. I see in the news, they want to blame the president. They want to blame China. They want to bl- blame Chinese people. Chinese people have, beaten, have been beaten recently because people have such a phobia against Chinese people. If you have friends or if you've been to China, if you have Chinese friends, you wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't, believe, you wouldn't be able to blame a whole nationality, a whole group of people because of something like this. What if there's a purpose in it? What if there's a purpose beyond anything we realize? That it brings the church back to the gospel. What if it brings more people into a, a place where they have nowhere to look but up. And they begin trusting the living Christ. and Begin experiencing the resurrection power of God for themselves. I think it'd be worth it. I think it'd be, I think it'd be a powerful thing. It wouldn't surprise me that something so simple as us coming back to the gospel is what God is after. We need to embrace it for ourselves. We need to extend it to our neighbors. We need to get back to the power of the simple power of the gospel. I think that's what God is doing. At least that's what I believe will be a good outcome that would come out of all this inconvenience that we're going through, all this trouble we're going through. Of course, those who've lost loved ones, it's not an inconvenience. It's a very, very painful thing. But even in that, even in loss, even in death, even in sickness, we need to embrace the gospel. We need to embrace the resurrected life of Jesus, that there's life beyond this life. There's a way to get through this by embracing him. And so that's the good news. That's the Easter message. That's what, the, that's what this whole season is all about. And I just want to remind you of what the scripture says about Easter. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for every heart and every home that's listening. Lord, that we would come to a place of simplicity. We'd come to a place of not having to be able to figure everything out and have everything work out a certain way. That we can rest in your sovereignty, rest in how big you are. That you have a purpose that there's life on the other side of this, always. There's always life on the other side of whatever we're going through. That's the good news of the resurrection. Father, I pray for everyone that's listening that they would very simply embrace you, receive Jesus, receive new hope, that they could pray and say, Jesus, I want to be with you now. And forever, wherever you are, I want to be with you. That's good news. Father, I bless, bless those who are listening. ask that you give their hearts and minds new hope, new peace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.